0: Hey, everyone, welcome to episode seven of Bible and Breakfast with Basketball Dads. I'm excited to have our guest today, Jason Romano, who is an author and the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast. Uh, Jason and I were able to meet uh, last year, and uh, he's been a a great friend and someone who I've I've stayed in touch with quite a bit. And he's he's just always an encouragement to me. So, Jason, thank you so much for for being on the show today.
1: Andrew Wingreen, this is awesome, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I love Bible and Breakfast. This is great. So cool to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: For sure. And because it is Bible and Breakfast, I was wondering if, you know, when you, uh, if you could start out by sharing maybe a little bit of something God's been teaching you lately, uh, whether that's, you know, a verse that's kind of stuck out in your mind or maybe just a a challenge that He's been working on your heart with. Um, But if there's something recently that God's been teaching you, we'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah. you know, for the last three months when the quarantine started, you know, I was clinging to Romans. Tw- it's, it's funny how verses kind of pop up on you from the Bible. Romans 12, 12 had come along about being patient in affliction, being steadfast in prayer, being hopeful. And when I saw that, I'm like, this is the perfect verse for the pandemic. And I really was clinging to that and, and, and leaning on that for a few months. And then the last couple of weeks happened and sort of the George Floyd murder and the and the unrest of of race relations and everything that's been going on in our country and the protests and you know a verse that I had memorized a very long time ago, probably 15 years ago, was James 119. and it's just a verse that I think is important for a lot of us, um, especially those as believers, but even the world to just if we could l- literally get what what James is trying to say here, we would we would be better off as a, as a nation, as a country, as a people. And it simply says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And, you know, there's a righteous anger that I think is healthy and important during these times. But the idea of just being quick to listen and slow to speak is the opposite of the country that I see in the world that I see right now. And uh, it's, it's something that I struggle with quite a bit, especially hosting a podcast where you're talking a lot. But one thing I learned through the podcast was how to listen. And even more now than the last couple of weeks, being quick to listen and not jump to conclusions or jump to have my voice heard. uh, That's been huge for me over the past few weeks. And I've been intentional about uh, listening to different people, uh, whether it's, you know, people of different faiths, people of different backgrounds, race, religion, whatever it is, I want to listen and learn. And I think I'm a better person when I do that. It may not change my viewpoints. It certainly, my faith is is strong and that's what I lean on, the rock that is Christ. And I'm going to lean on that. But I need to learn and be more empathetic. I call empathy the great antidote in uh, in our in our world. I think if we could just have empathy, more empathy in a world that's lacking it quite a bit right now and listen more and be quick to listen, I think we'd be better off. So that's what, I think that's what the Lord has been showing me, especially in the last week or two.
0: Yeah. And I think you're so right on. And, uh, I've seen it too, just watching the news or following on social media, how everyone just has something to say. And there's so many, so many viewpoints, so many opinions and nobody agrees on it. But when we take time to listen and to slow down a little bit to understand, um, I think God can really open our hearts and show us a lot through that. And, you know, you you mentioned that verses from James, and I think just the entire book of James is so powerful in a time like this. Just talking about joy and talking about trials and talking about different things that are going on, yes. not only in our personal lives but just in the world. And I think we can really glean a lot from from that chapter. So, um, thanks for talking about that. I actually, have another question later on about some of the listening uh, that you've been doing on your podcast, but sure. I wanted to start out um, and talk about talk about your your family a little bit and i know you you guys just celebrated your daughter's 16th birthday if i'm not mistaken then sweet 16 uh, yeah yeah which is awesome happy birthday to her a little late but yeah uh, i was wondering if you could share a little bit about your journey as a dad because i know um i know it wasn't always easy but just can you share a little bit about your journey into fatherhood
1: yeah i mean my first book live to forgive is about the broken relationship it's about forgiveness but it's about the broken relationship i have with my own father and that really influenced uh, a lot of my thought process on family. It influenced my desire to become a dad. Uh, I think what I saw, the absent father that my dad was and the distant father and the, and the, the broken relationship that we had between him and my, myself and my two brothers, I had such a desire growing up to become a father and really the main reason was I wanted to give love to a child that I didn't necessarily receive from my own father. And so there was a deep desire to want to become a dad pretty quickly once I found the right person to become a, a dad with. Um, and I married my wife, Dawn, twenty almost 21 years ago now. And you know we decided initially after we got married that we were going to try and start a family right away. It was not something that we wanted to wait on, uh, although God had different plans uh, but it was something we wanted to try right away. Uh, and there's part of that I'm not uh, afraid to admit I was maybe a little wrong on and not not wrong that I wanted to become a dad. But I think I missed the idea of really cherishing my wife and being married to her and enjoying marriage before trying to rush into becoming a dad. Um, But I was set after we got married, I was pretty set on wanting to become a father. And so was my wife and wanting to become a mother and us becoming parents. And so we tried right away to have children and we had to wait four years. Uh, We had infertility issues and we, like I said, God had other plans. Um, But there was a lot of learning that was done in that four years of waiting that really showed me personally who God was. And it brought me to a place of of humility towards him uh, and really brought me to a place to accept him as my as my savior during this waiting period of trying to become a dad trying to become a parent and you know we had to come to a point where we understood and learned about patience and my wife and I um, both of us very young in our marriage my wife uh, even will admit that she wasn't really a follower of Christ during this time she was just very upset and angry I think that she couldn't get pregnant like the majority of other women could. And I was kind of getting upset too. Uh, I turned to faith thanks to my family uh, showing me that a little bit. Uh, my wife eventually did too. And our daughter was born June of 2004. And now it's been 16 years. And I learned so much in this process of parenting. Uh, it's funny. I, I was thinking about this on my walk this morning, how I was for a long time, the last three years preaching and teaching and speaking around the country. And I'd always bring up a joke, I would say, hey, you parents of teenage girls, if you have any advice, send it my way, because this isn't easy. And I started to make that joke because it was becoming apparent that my daughter was changing. She became a teenager and started to become a different person. You know, I wasn't her hero anymore, or maybe I was and she just wasn't showing it, but I was not like the greatest human in her life. Suddenly I was the embarrassing dad that, you know, she didn't want to have around too often. And I saw that. And I think I took that in a way initially where I was, I was like, what am I doing wrong here? And now I see her at 16 and she's mature and she's growing up and she's becoming this beautiful young lady. And um, our relationship is, is pretty good. You know, there's still those moments where she just shuts her door and says, stay away from me, daddy. But uh, it's getting better. And I'm learning to enjoy every single step of the way Uh, I'm talking to someone the other day who just had a new, who's having a newborn soon. And I said, I know this is weird. And he's like 40 years old. So he's like an older first time dad. And I said, I know this is going to be weird for you to understand, but I want you to truly, truly cherish your first 10 or 12 years being a dad. And he's like, well, of course I am. I said, I know you think you will, but until you go through it, there's going to be moments where you're wishing you weren't a dad or you're wishing, man, when these kids are acting up. I just need my peace, cherish all of the moments because I'm telling you from experience, 16 years flew by like it was nothing. And I got about two years left and then she's going to college and then everything changes after that. And you got to kind of learn to let them go. And hopefully I did a good enough job and she can make a difference in society and be productive human and, and certainly love uh, the Lord, of, you know, with all of her heart and soul and mind and strength. But I got a couple years left and it flew by. It really did.
0: Yeah, my daughter just turned, or our oldest daughter turned seven uh, last week. And man, those seven years have flown by. So I know, right? you know, that advice is hearing, hearing parents who do have, you know, the teenagers or the college kids when they, you know, everyone says it goes by fast, you know, cherish the moments and you're like, ah, yeah, but they, they yell and scream and fight and cry all the time. So.
1: And know. record the moments too. We're at an yeah. age now where we're recording everything. Right. But I love Facebook memories. I can't stand mm-hmm. Facebook for a lot of reasons. But Facebook memories, for me, I put all these videos and pictures of Sarah when she was four, five, six years old. Uh, I got on Facebook in 2007, I think. So she was three years old and now she's 16. So I basically have 13 years of her you know, age four to age 15, age 16 timeframe of all these memories that pop up every day of pictures and videos. And we go back and watch them all the time and realize, wow, that was, that flew by, but it allows you to have sort of a a video diary of your kids, you know, growing up. And it's a pretty cool thing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I love going back and looking at that stuff and it does just, you got to cherish every moment. And I'll probably be one of those guys coming to you asking for advice about (laughs) what to do with the teenage daughter and, in just a few years so well, thank you so much you can sharing. come all
1: you can come with all the you can come with all the questions <laughs> you want I'm not sure I'll have the answers but I'll do my best
0: <laughs> oh, sound, sounds good yeah. um want to ask you one more thing I know you mentioned you know you and your wife went through a little bit of infertility when you guys were trying to have a kid but I know there's yeah you know several coaches and and other dads and families out there who are going through the same thing but what would you say, you know, I know you talked a little bit about how you guys stayed encouraged through that time, but what would you say maybe to a couple who is currently going through that and they, you know, they believe that God wants them to have a child, but nothing's happening.
1: Yeah. I would say to, you know, to remember that uh, if you are a believer, especially, especially if you're a believer and, you know, initially on the, the whole idea of not being able to have kids, you know, I was not a believer. My wife was not a believer. Uh, we, in fact, we were angry at whatever, We thought God was because he wasn't giving us what we wanted or what we thought even he wanted for us. And when I really started searching the scriptures, I saw people who, you know, desired to have children and desired to have, you know, sort of these dreams achieved. And yet a lot of them were willing to still surrender their will to God and say, you know what? My ways are not his ways. My plans are not his plans. And if it's not coming together the way I think it should come together, then there must be a better plan in place. There must be. And it's a hard thing to go through when you're in the midst of it. It's a hard thing to even think about when you're in the midst of it. But I look back now and I I realize that's what I was clinging on to. I was clinging on to hope to become a dad. And I know that if God, I had to be okay if Dawn never got pregnant. Right. I had to be okay with that as a Christian, but then I had to be okay with that. Not that I was just accepting of it, but knowing that there was something better in place. Now, thankfully, Dawn did get pregnant. uh, But, you know, the dreams for me were to have two or three kids and be able to kind of maybe even have a son and and raise him as my boy and all that. But that was not God's plan. But I look back now and say God's plan is much better than I could have ever imagined, because having my daughter is the best thing uh, in the world and be able to kind of do life with her. And who knows what that turns out to. Maybe I end up being a grandfather to three boys someday, just like my grandfather was to me and my brother. So you just don't know. But I would encourage those going through it to just to hold on, to keep the faith. And, you know, it's okay to go see doctors and get tested and talk to them. And they have wisdom for a reason. And that's okay. And we did that. Uh, But sometimes the doctors don't even have the answers. And that's where faith comes in and clinging to God uh, trusting that he's got a plan, not being afraid to ask specifically for what you want, but trusting that if you're not getting what you want, then that's clearly not the plan that God has, that his plan is is greater than what you think. And he's going to do more amazing things than you can ever imagine. I only say that because that's what happened to me. You know, I can't guarantee that that's going to happen to everybody else or whatever, but I do see a lot of people who've gone through infertility. In fact, let me tell you a quick story. A friend of mine who lives out in Tennessee, they walked through the same path of infertility for four years and ended up coming to a point where they didn't think they were ever going to get pregnant. So they went and adopted a baby girl. And I met this baby girl last year and she's awesome and beautiful and their parents now. And just a couple days earlier, a couple days ago, I found out he told, he called me, he's like, uh, guess what? My wife's pregnant. And she's like in her early forties, I think, or late thirties. And how amazing is that? Right. And so that's the plans of God being way greater than the plans of what my friends had thought they were supposed to be going through in terms of the way that they went through. And now they're expecting their second child. So I'm just saying, hang on and cling to hope and trust that God really does truly have a plan, even when it doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah, you're so right. You talked about faith and faith is one of the weird, you know, it's, it's a weird thing because, you know, the Bible says it's, Uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we talk about, you know, you have to have faith. You have to have faith. But what does that look like? And I don't know if anyone can really say what it looks like other than, you know, stepping somewhere that you don't know the answer to and just making sure you do, you put your whole trust into God and what his plan is. And it's, it's, I can't imagine that's easy, but thank you so much for sharing your experience with that. Um, I know you've had, you know, you've had a lot of good podcast episodes recently, um, especially in the last couple of weeks. I know you had, uh, Kyle Corver, you had Wesley Woodyard, you had a pastor on. Um, and I, I've watched some of those as well, as I'm sure a lot of people have. But what are some things, you know, you talked earlier about listening and just being quick to listen, to understand. But what are some things as you've been talking to these people about some of the issues going on in our country, uh, some things that you have learned because you've you've been listening?
1: Well, the first thing is I learned that it's OK to admit that you don't know things that you thought maybe you did uh, or to think that you're OK and that your brain uh, has been through, you know, this process of trying to take in everything that's going on, and and yet to still admit you don't understand. Uh, I also think empathy is a huge thing here. Uh, I sense that when I talked to Kyle Corver last week, that um, you know he has he he said it. I got friends who are black. I got friends in the NBA. I've been playing in the NBA for sixteen years. And I had to admit that my empathy wasn't all there, and that I didn't know it all, and that I still had a long way to go to learn uh, why oppression is still existing, why African Americans, uh, our black brothers and sisters, are still speaking up about this. When you're thinking, "Hey, it's 2020. This isn't you know the 1960s anymore, or even the 1860s anymore," but it's still important for us to listen. And if you were hearing the cries of those you know people close to you that are still screaming and, and asking for people to just listen to them, then we got to listen to them. You know, we got to lament and spend time in lamenting. I think Pastor Brian Laritz said that, that it's important for us to lament. It's important for us to just feel the pain and not have to have all the answers yet. Certainly there you know, faith without works is dead. So we should have some action soon. And whatever that action leads to is, is within each person's desire and heart. But Lamenting and listening and feeling the pain and understanding where another person is coming from. You know, I happen to be that Kyle and Wesley and Pastor Brian are all believers in Christ, but yet they all come with differing backgrounds and differing, um, you know, the main thing is the main thing on who Christ is, but differing experiences. And so I've noticed that even with my friends around here, we all come from different experiences. And you know, some people have never seen or experienced racism in their life and others have seen it and experienced it. And many people, you know, see policemen and have great experience with with our law enforcement, but clearly there's many who haven't had that experience. And so we need to just spend more time understanding, listening, asking questions and talking to different people than we normally talk to. And I, it's weird because I don't want to just have had to use this as a check-in point with my African-American friends to see how they're doing. And I'm ashamed to admit that I have done that a little bit because maybe I wasn't checking in on them about issues like this in the past. It was more like, hey, dude, how you doing? Hope you're doing well. And, you know, maybe even then I wasn't doing that as, as well as I would have liked. But, you know, the pandemic really started for me with the idea of reaching out and checking in on people. And with this, the last couple of weeks, it's even more vital for me to reach out and check in and see how people are doing, see what they're thinking, and not jumping to a conclusion if somebody has an opinion that I just can't believe they would still think that or can't believe that they would would believe in that. You know, people, people fight and protest for the right to have that opinion, and we have to be okay. And not necessarily agree with everything, but we have to be okay sometimes if people have differing opinions because we all want that right to have that opinion. Now, there are some opinions that you want to stand up and just shake the person, like, why do you still think this and believe this? And But that's where you learn, and that's where you listen, and you have conversations, and hopefully through empathy, we can begin to to heal a little bit as a country because right now, we're as divided as ever, and uh, I hate seeing it. I really do.
0: Yeah. you've used the word empathy probably three or four times during this podcast. And I think, you know, that's one word that's been going through my mind because you see so many, obviously you see the divide, you see the hate, you see all that in our country right now. But, you know, as leaders, I think empathy is such a key piece and, you know, and it goes both the, you know, the teaching and the listening aspect that we have to provide that empathy. And it's something you just don't see a lot of, so I think that is a, is a key word. You know that I'm taking from this episode is empathy, and that that goes for so yeah. many areas of our life. Um, but that's that's great perspective on, on what you're learning there. Well, the word
1: empathy it originated for me from my relationship with my dad. So the first book I wrote, "Live to Forgive," coming to a place to be able to forgive my dad didn't happen until I had empathy for my father, and all I well it meant for me empathy was to see it from his point of view what he was going through, he struggled with alcohol and depression for many, many years. And I really didn't care to see his side of things. I just cared about the pain he was causing me. And so finally, when I came to a place where I could see his perspective is when I really, it was a game changer for me. And I was allowed to to understand that I needed to choose to forgive because I had all this bitterness inside of me towards him. And now it's funny extending that seven years later, our country could use a lot of forgiveness and it needs to have empathy to get to a place of a, to being a forgiving nation, especially right now in such turmoil that we're in, because it's the great antidote. I know I mentioned it earlier, but we need as a society, I truly believe this in whatever we believe, we need to see other people from their perspective. Again, it doesn't need to mean we need to agree with everything they do or even be conformed to what they uh, maybe stand for because maybe it's completely the opposite of what you stand for. But empathy allows us to see them as human beings created in the image of God and seeing their value and their worth, even if they're saying something that we just don't agree with. So empathy is a great game changer. I'm glad you you took that away because that's been a word on my heart for for a while now. And even more, we need it today.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I love it so much. Um, thanks for sharing, Jason. You have a new book coming out. You know, you talked about your first book, "Live to Forgive," um, which is a great book. I would recommend a lot of people to go read that. Um, but your new book, "The Uniform of Leadership," is coming out soon, and I was wondering if you could just share a little bit. About, you know, when that's coming out, where people can get it, and you know, why? Why did you write it?
1: Yeah, this is a book I'm really excited about. It comes out July 28th. It's my second book, and uh, it's. Listen, if I was ever to write a book, it certainly wouldn't have been on Live to Forgive and Forgiving My Father. Um, that was not a book that I ever planned on writing. In fact, I, have, I had zero plans five years ago to ever be a writer. I don't enjoy writing. And the fact that there's two books now with my name on it is silly to me. Uh, but the second book would be the book that if you'd talked to me five years ago, I probably would have said, well, if I ever do write a book, it would be something like this. Because I get asked a lot of questions about my time at ESPN, 17 years there. And I got a lot of stories. And so a lot of people will say, give me one story. What was this person like? You know, What was Stuart Scott like? What was Chris Berman like? What was Bob Lee like? What was it like working on SportsCenter? What was it like working on the NFL at ESPN? I get those questions a lot. And so I wanted to write a book on those stories of the people that I spent time with at ESPN. But I really just didn't want it to be Jason's stories from ESPN, which that's kind of what the book is. But I really wanted it to be a practical book that teams... And any form of business, coaches, the sports world, players, uh, the ministry world, certainly pastors and leadership teams, that they could go through together as a team and look at the lessons, the leadership lessons, the timeless leadership lessons that so many in that space have talked about. People like John Maxwell and John Gordon are two of my favorite uh, leadership experts, if you will. And a lot of this book stems from the great lessons that they've shared for many, many years. But it's my stories. So I've weaved in the stories of my time at ESPN and the leadership lessons that I learned, specifically spending time with people that you've heard of and people you haven't. People like Tony Dungy, people like Drew Brees from the Saints, people like Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jenny Finch and big name athletes, even people from the entertainment world like Will Farrell and Dwayne Johnson, people I spent time with at ESPN, there's leadership lessons that I took from spending time with these people at ESPN. But then there's the people you don't know, the people like Tammy from the cafeteria, who was one of the best leaders I ever saw, people like Carol, my boss for many years, who's one of the best bosses I've ever had, if not the best boss I've ever had. You know, there's those people behind the scenes that were amazing leaders that taught me so much. And that's what this book is. It's a collection of stories and timeless leadership lessons that you can go through with your team. And there's a there's a you know, a part at the end of every chapter called putting on the uniform that has discussion questions. And it's really set set up to go through not just to read for yourself and challenge you, but to go through, like I said, with your teammates, with your coworkers, with your staff, whatever that looks like.
0: Well, that's awesome. And I, I know I'm excited to read it. I'm sure a lot of coaches will, will glean a lot from that. When, uh, I know it's available for pre-order right now, if I'm not Just, mistaken, but yep. what, um, when is the release date of that book and, and where will people be able to find it?
1: Yeah. So a couple things on that. So it's available July 28th is when it's going to be released. Um, Kriegel Publishing published it. And I'm really excited. It's a hardcover book. There's pictures inside of some of the people that I spent time with at ESPN. So they really believed in the project and they're going to make this thing come out pretty well, I think. I'm supposed to receive my first copy later this month. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, But you can pre-order right now. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble and everywhere books are found. But you can also join if you want. And this is for anybody watching. They can get in touch with you, Andrew, or just find me on social media. If they'd like to join the book release team, what that's allowing me to have happen is people can read the book, a digital copy of it before it comes out. And then they get to pre-order the book and have a copy to read for themselves and underline or give to someone else. Um, But this will allow them to kind of be part of the book release team. And through that, there's a few extra bonuses in there, including an opportunity to do a Zoom call with myself and kind of hang out with them and talk a little through the principles of the book. So if you want to join that and read the book now, like literally when we hang up here, you can read the book. I can send it to you. If you join the team, Uh, you can just do that by hitting up my social media or reaching me directly um, on my website, just jasonromano.com. So that's really something I've been encouraged with. I've gotten a few pieces of feedback already from people who've read it. And it's been so encouraging to know because you just, Andrew, when you write a book, it's it's not quite clear if anybody's actually going to read it or enjoy it, or if it's something that you're when you put out there that you know is going to encourage people. And so far, it seems like it has been. So,
0: yeah, why well, I, I You know, as soon as we hang up, I'm definitely going to try and uh, be part of this launch team, and and I want to read it as soon as I can. So, yeah, um, you know, for those listening, I would definitely take advantage of that. Hit up Jason on on Twitter or uh, email him and, and take advantage of that. But Jason, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for what you do with the sports spectrum podcast. Um, I know I've been very encouraged just by listening to, uh, your guests and the questions you asked them. Um, but thank you so much for spending time with us this morning.
1: Yeah, this is great, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. Love what you're doing, brother. Keep it up.
0: Thanks. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you next time.